Welcome to Pod Me If You Can, I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And here on the podcast, we talk a lot about Christopher Nolan, director of Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises, among other things. Lloyd has been quick to mention that I've been a fan of Christopher Nolan for many years. Yep, since Memento. Yeah, I was a big fan of Memento. I I rated him probably my top five films. And uh, I've been probably talking about Christopher Nolan since Memento. So I was, you know, I was one of the people who, I guess was looking forward to Batman not just because Batman Begins not just because it was another Batman movie but because Christopher Nolan was attached so um in the lead up to Interstellar which almost 100% we will be doing an episode on definitely I can't wait when it's finally released you're avoiding trailers aren't you Lloyd but apparently they don't show much so I might actually watch one yeah there's at the time of this recording there's a, a teaser trailer out and you you would be uh, hard-pressed to know what the film was about. It's, <laughs> it's quite a tease. But uh, while we wait for Christopher Nolan's next film to come out, we thought we would go back and talk about Following, which is Christopher Nolan's very first feature film, and almost not a feature at 69 minutes. It's um, just scraped in there, I think. Yeah, that's right. It's from 1998, and the budget sort of ranges between three and $6,000. Mm-hmm. Um Sounds like most of the cost of this film was for the film stock. Absolutely. It's funny, uh, Christopher Nolan's a fervent user of um, film. He like There's a documentary came out side by side, which is on about the um, changeover to digital, because most Hollywood productions now are using digital cameras. And Christopher Nolan was in there with his DOP, and they're saying, no, it's not good enough, I'll never go to digital. And this film, yeah, I think most of that money went to the 16 mil or whatever he shot this in. Yeah, definitely. Um, before we go on, we should say, we've obviously seen the fo- uh, following, and there's going to be spoilers. If you have no interest in seeing following, by all means, continue to listen. If you don't think you're going to, if you're going to use this as a tester to see whether or not you'll be interested, keep listening, but we will be getting into the plot and spoiling the ending. Mm-hmm. Um Lloyd, I should mention you saw this as a Criterion release. Yeah, I bought the Criterion disc. Um, I got the Blu-ray edition of it. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Criterion is generally regarded as the best DVD or Blu-ray company in the world. Quite often they get the highest quality transfers they can on a, on a project and they get the best people to write the booklets inside or the essays inside and they get most often the directors themselves or film historians to do a commentary like it's packed with special features and I bought the following for a pretty good deal from Amazon.com um, that is a Criterion edition and this was packed with features and I watched most of them and listened to the audio commentary as well. You're going to be the source for... Um... <laughs> most of the extras on this podcast too i think (laughs) it's interesting that this is his very first film uh now it's in no way a perfect film it has its flaws Mm -hmm. and one of the more obvious flaws for me is the acting because these um these three sort of non-actors who he's cast in the major roles as the young man cobb and the blonde Mm -hmm. blonde woman um their acting ability is sort of limited and it's noticeable in some scenes more than others but it sort of takes you out of it a little bit but again for a first film he's got something really interesting here it shows so many sort of of his trademark things you know i mean uh the time jumps for example that's exactly right the chronology of the story 
um, jumps around. In fact, one of the special features on this Blu-ray, and in, in fact it was released on the DVD, was he released in two discs, one with a straightforward narrative and the other one as it was originally released. Um, just to show, I guess, he didn't have any tricks up his sleeve, but quite often that's a strategy employs in his film. I think the big one is Prestige, or was it... Yeah, he, yeah. Prestige, well, it's a story within a story within a story almost like... Mm prestige for those who haven't seen no spoilers here um it's about two rival magicians um and part of it is one magician reading the other one's notes and that takes you to a flashbacks of what he was writing about so it's all over the place time wise yeah yeah and the economy i think it suits the economy of this film like he said on the special features or every time i was in trouble with sonic i could easily just cut to um you know them in the room talking to each other then cut back to the story it just gave him so much flexibility by having it told in that manner it made me wonder if um i'd seen this once before but i watched it again as a refresher uh made me wonder if uh pulp fiction was an influence at all because not only the chronology as you say like pulp fiction is sort of time jumps here and there a little bit towards the end but it's also a very talky film and 1994 if i'm not mistaken was pulp fiction absolutely right yeah and i sort of think maybe you know he sort of watched tarantino go through the success and the khan and the you know everything and this became the trend i mean we've seen a lot of tarantino ripoffs happening where people copy you know the Pulp Fiction he, format. Yeah, the 90s was plagued with movies of that of that ripped off Tarantino's dialogue and especially his narrative structure. They just wanted to be like that. But I, I don't want to put following too much in that um, pit, but definitely there are influences of Tarantino there. So I, I think, yeah, he, he, he was influenced by um, Tarantino, especially the chronology. Yeah. Look, um, interesting fact from um, IMDb, the principal photography of this film took over a year because all the cast and crew's members had other full-time jobs they were only able to film on saturdays about 15 minutes of footage until photography had been completed in typical so, no budget fashion <laughs> yeah, exactly it's amazing and i mean i feel like there's a lot of sort of feature films that this is how they they have to make it work mm. you know and and like you say no budget films um, I made a feature film called The Last Resort, and um, we filmed over a total of, uh, I believe it was 15 days, um, which included a few half days. So, you know, like, that's over the course of almost a year. Yeah. We were filming in um, January, and the film was out in sort of November, and we were sort of editing as we went and things like that. It's just, uh, I guess, uh, I'm envious of... Um, the production he was able to come up with and this as well it makes me think of that film Primer you haven't seen it I yet have you Lloyd? Primer no yeah but uh, it's the same sort of economy they've got film stock and they rehearse and rehearse and rehearse until everybody knows everything they're going to say and then they do one take or two takes and they do you know this limited kind of film is the major expense for these uh, productions and you know mine was on digital so you could do as much as you or as little as you wanted but it was one of those things where i guess you're limited by time everybody else has a life and full-time work outside of that's right the film process 
Yeah, no, um, you've made some films too, Lloyd. Yeah, I, mean, I, I still make them, but more for the web um, show. And I, as as with you, Dave, I shoot on digital. In fact, I shot a lot with my iPhone. And yeah, I just um, upload into video. In fact, I think there's one up there now, like a latest one. They're only three to four minute videos. But yeah, like you're always dictated by the resources that you have. So you shouldn't write a story that's beyond the resources that's currently available to you. And Nolan goes on and on about this on the commentary like I this if you're starting out and you want to be a movie maker this is one of the best DVDs to get because Nolan is so honest about how he produced this film like I'll give you a good example he goes he he was making films since seven years old mind you (laughs) and he made this uh, I think 28 between 28 and 30 um he, he he finished um the following but one example he gives is like he never wanted to use a gun because he said there was just something that looked wrong about the gun it was it didn't weigh much for the actors so they didn't hold the gun properly yeah. and it was difficult to get off squibs and gun shots it just didn't look right so instead of using a gun he used a hammer like a rubber hammer and he said it just seemed so much more effective and um yeah like there's little, lots of tricks he used like he staged it on rooftops he goes rooftops is like one of the best landscapes you can get for no budget filmmaking and it just gives you this great um background that requires no money at all so he yeah. said a lot of the dialogue and rooftops and a lot of the houses and apartments that, that this movie set in are just friends and families as with you did with your production i'm sure you used a lot of friends and families home for all the interiors he, and things like that here's the thing lloyd I've I haven't uh, ever really been public with any of my thoughts about The Last Resort and uh, if people are interested in either Lloyd or my films there are links uh, from podmeifyoucan.com you can find both our YouTube individual YouTube pages where um, you can watch The Last Resort it's all there as one big clip I did not do what uh, Christopher Nolan did and mark up all my resources i just wrote a script i thought you you wrote it around the caves like you knew you had access to those caves so you wrote it around that no i didn't know i'd have access and for those who don't know my film is a love triangle that takes place in a mountain resort where the ex-boyfriend of the girl kidnaps them and takes them back to a cave now look i didn't have a resort i had immense problems getting a resort Um, I tried a lot of resorts before I was able to get the one that eventually the film is shot at. And um, I had a gun in my script. Oh, yeah. That was one of mine as well. (laughs) When they're captured, they get shot with tranquilizer darts. They uh, are kept inside a cave, but they're inside a cage within a cave. It's endlessly complicated and it needn't be that complicated, really. You pulled it off, though. (laughs) Well, no, the... At the end of the day, what's wrong mostly with my film is uh, two things. One, I had to rewrite some of the ending, which um, I think made it not make as much sense as it could have. And the second thing is uh, there were sound problems with my film, audio problems that um, partly was to do with a frayed microphone that became worse as the film went on. uh, And partly it was to do with, I had to do some voiceover work with actors in post and oh, try and fix that's a wow one of the things he kept emphasizing on the d- special features was he goes i never wanted to do post sound because it oh, it's a nightmare it never works so i made a huge effort to make sure i got the sound right now in the film and i didn't even notice this you can hear the um the film rolling 
as they're talking the dialogue because in that specific scene the microphone and actors were really close to the camera and he goes you can actually hear it here but i didn't care because i had to get that sound recorded on that take because i'm not doing uh additional voiceover also he always shoots scenes with one camera he only ever uses multiple cameras um if it's an action sequence but he goes everything else like from batman and all that he always uses one camera he goes that's the only way to tell a story in my opinion i'm like wow (laughs) this guy nolan has grown to be one of the great titans of cinema he's probably you know in the top three food chain in the world like he makes intelligent original movies um, you know, and they they yep. have really uh, ambitious themes as well, and he pulls yep. it off like highest quality. And he's giving all this information. That's like, oh, he's such a hero. <laughs> I know. We we obviously. I think the biggest get we could ever have is to interview Christopher Nolan on this podcast. <laughs> well, he keeps his past secretly guarded. He doesn't, I know. Yeah, he doesn't tell anyone. Like the, uh, him saying, "Oh yeah, I've been making films since seven. I was like, "Wow!" I was like you know that's now locked in my mind because i'm pretty sure that's the only thing i'm getting from his past (laughs) yeah look what's funny is i mean i obviously wish i'd seen this film before making my first feature and um i used two cameras in certain scenes as well (laughs) i've I've done everything wrong (laughs) but But that's according to him though (laughs) no look i i used two cameras in this one scene where we just had to get both sides of the conversation um it was during magic hour which is when the sun is just setting and you need the lighting to be perfect on both actors faces which is never so, an hour <laughs> yeah it's a short amount of time so we needed to quickly do both so we had cameras set up on both actors at once getting both sides of the conversation but look um i i when i watch these kind of first films and robert rodriguez is another one he does these film school um uh, what do you call them? Film school uh, DVD extras? Yep, on his DVDs, there are special features called 10-minute film school because he yep. believes by the philosophy that I can teach you everything about film that you need to know about film in 10 minutes, which is crazy um, considering, like, if you met a plumber and he's saying, I can teach you my trade in 10 minutes, you know, that's that's pretty r- ridiculous and a bit hurtful. But it, it is true. Like, the, the essentials of cinema, you only need about, uh, you know... To, to cut and shoot and all that and yeah <laughs> particularly in his book uh, rebel without a crew yes exactly rebel without a crew and um sort of every time i i looked into these kinds of things in retrospect i can see all the mistakes that i've made and ultimately that's these mistakes all accumulated to make my feature film less than i envisioned it would be there's some footage of me um before i started um shooting anything and i'm quite optimistic and i watch that back and it's it's hilarious to me how optimistic i am (laughs) um at least you pulled it off man you made a feature no it was very much a film school experience for Mm. me but um i feel as if the story uh isn't quite exactly what i thought it would be and so ultimately i feel um that was a very important sort of part of my life and everything like that there's this weird detachment for me now and um what i've been doing lately and this is another oh pardon me if you can exclusives all (laughs) over the place um i've been writing the novelization of the film in an effort to use my original ending there's all these additional scenes that help explain 
parts of the film that I feel weren't exactly clear up on screen. Well, that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, so that's going to be available for the Kindle, I'd say, this year. So um, one to keep out for. Um, You know, look, if you're interested, you can watch the film now. But if um, you want to know what I envisioned it to be, like the book might be um, the way to go. And that's going to be available on the Kindle or through Amazon, downloadable. Uh, but look, if you follow us on Facebook, if you're interested in that, it'll be, I'm sure, put up there at some point. Yeah, keep your eye on it, guys. Sounds fantastic. Thanks, mate. Um, <laughs> no, that sounds like a great idea. Like getting your original vision without the compromise of the resources and, ju- you know, just so you can get it, um, get that part that's in your heart, that creative fire out of, get it out of yourself sort of thing. Like write it on the page and just, oh, this is how it originally was supposed to be. <laughs> Yeah, I'm working from an original script, um, which before I had to make any modifications to it. And I think it it is the conclusion of uh, my story, really. And, and the last time I will do anything with The Last Resort, you know. Um, yeah, it, it feels like it'll be done then. But just to do it justice and to kind of complete my experience with it, I feel like this is something that you know i'm i'm currently i'm enjoying writing it too mm. so um yeah it's we, it's different yeah. looking back in retrospect i suppose we got to talk about photography uh like the reason why i shoot on video is because my hero david lynch shoots on video i was a staunch film man i was thinking of shooting stuff on high 8 like quentin tarantino said in his special features of pulp fiction uh shoot on high 8 and then um, once it's on film, you can bring it back to video, but it costs so much. The moment my hero, um, David Lynch, moved to digital with Inland Empire and a lot of his digital productions, I went to digital and I was like, digital's fine. You know, and another one of our f- heroes, Steven Sodenberg, shot um, full frontal on the Canon XL1, but yep. he had a very good lens and there was a lot of it that was shot on film as well. But the fact that a great filmmaker like that could shoot something on video was just like mind-blowing to us because me and dave when we were making movies we, we were we were caught on this cross point between digital and um and film and which one's better like that was a huge argument more so with film back then definitely and you can see it with the following like i know it christopher nolan he, he chose black and white obviously cheaper to process and it was shot on 16 mil you can see even though it was harsh like often he only had two maybe one maybe two lights set up in a interior scene you can t- it still looks superior to sonic that shot on video in my opinion it just has that level of authenticity it just i don't know because we've been grown up watching or telling our minds that film is at that level you know what i mean uh yeah yeah and even robert rodriguez's first film el mariachi which was made for seven grand which most of went to the process of the film production and even that film looks pretty good it just carries that level of authenticity whereas something in digital now you got dslrs which everyone shoots on and it looks fantastic but in the day when we shot on digital video it just something about it just looked really cheap and um, digital video yeah digital video just something about it looked really cheap and um even inland empire was heavily criticized as oh this film looks awful i know michael mann shot collateral around the same time and most of that was shot on digital video but he used very expensive digital video cameras um for that more so yeah you you wouldn't have known collateral was shot on digital exactly exactly um yeah look i think the way it's all changing again with DSLRs or yeah well there's 
that anyone can make films now like you said earlier you shot something on an iphone yeah <laughs> you know and that's perfectly acceptable they have festivals now where all the entries are shot on iphones you know mm. it, it there's apps you can get which will edit you a short film based on your you know your iphone videos it's i think competition now is a lot harder i think christopher nolan was in the last stage when <laughs> you know before it just got out of got out of control now i think it's very difficult to break through i agree i think um well, at the time before i shot my film i thought easily that i could do filmmaking as maybe not a career but as something that i could do every two years or things like that the reality is everybody probably thinks that and that's why most people will either only do one film and just be burnt out by the experience yeah. you know and just it's a daunting task to to take on a second one or else you know I, that. i've never done a feature i've written a couple but i just find it too much of a gamble like to put a year of my life into one idea and what if the actor isn't good enough what if the script wasn't good enough what if um the guy doing the coloring doesn't do a good job what if the sound record was it just seems too much of a gamble whereas if i make short videos online it satisfies me creatively it doesn't require so much of a financial input and you know i can just keep throwing up film so it satisfies me creatively enough but yeah feature film oh you got to give credit to anyone who completes a feature film because it is a mountain you have to climb yeah look based on experience <laughs> i you've just said so many things that i've been like yep what if this doesn't go right and what if this doesn't <laughs> yeah. go right but before you start, you think everything's going to go right. It's only through doing all those things that you find out what doesn't work. I had people tell me that lines in the script didn't work, you know, and we workshopped those out. And then I thought the script was good. I had clashes amongst the actors that you try and work through. I had, you know, um, we did some coloring in post to try and um, even out some shots and give the film its own kind of look. And, and you go through all of these things yeah um definitely but like you've got to think and i'm not trying to push you creatively to do a feature lloyd of course <laughs> but you've got to think at the time and i did think this at the time what if everything goes right mm. you know absolutely did you find it a big financial investment um the last resort um it was about eight thousand dollars eight thousand australian yeah. so more than nolan and uh, robert rodriguez <laughs> and it was but, very um, expensive for you at the time because obviously you didn't have were you working full-time uh i believe i was yeah but okay. um it was it was uh like a we shot over a weekend here and a weekend there yeah. like i completely relate to the whole um you know following way of shooting over several months we um i don't know that people really want to hear this but <laughs> We can always, um, if people are genuinely interested, you know, look to talk about just the last resort sometime. Yeah, definitely. But, Let us know, guys. <laughs> but uh, when we shot at the resort, um, which was Lake Krakenback in Jindabyn, near Jindabyn, um, you know, we had four days there. So it was a case of people getting, you know, the Friday and the Monday off and things like that. And it was, you know, it. it's funny because when everybody's kind of passionate about a project and you're all working on a project together, people all try and accommodate you, you know? Um, I think everybody has to kind of believe it's going to work, you know, before any kind of filming takes place and Absolutely. stuff for it, 
for it to have any chance of success. You know, if somebody comes into the project saying, yeah, this is terrible, we shouldn't do this, they're obviously not going to work on it, yeah. are they? So everybody no. there is a committed part of a team. It's, um, it's funny because in this film following, they break into houses for the adrenaline rush. And yeah. I think, I think in a way, filmmaking is its own adrenaline rush. Absolutely. You know? uh, I, I like the way uh, Nolan, this is, I think, his only film that where he holds the camera and he looked through the viewfinder and did everything because he, he was a DOP on this. Um, he said, uh, like, it was really hard for him to adjust when he went on to Memento and obviously got a big Hollywood production that he wasn't in charge of the camera anymore. It was just like, oh, gosh, okay, so now I've got to look. And now he's used to it, but it was just a heavy transition. But mm. this, the photography in this film, I love the handheld sort of style. I think it worked in the favour of the story. It wasn't just for economic reasons. Like, obviously, he wrote the story abiding by the resources that he had available to him. Um, but I think the handheld added to that paranoia and added to the sense that you were there with them. Yeah, and... It did look cheap, though. <laughs> <laughs> look, I think in parts, yes, it looks... Like I said at the beginning, it's no, it's not a perfect film. It's an achievement because it spurns so many other things from it. You know, it launches his career and not the careers of any of the actors, which is explained by the acting that is quite poor here and there. But, um, look, Nolan, this was his film school, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean... We don't know that much about his past, as you say, but this is... You have to go with the premise of the film. He wrote it because his home was broken into and he wondered what the people thought as they went around looking at his belongings, right? Mm. So it's based on personal experience. He had this moment where he thought, this is interesting, this is going to be a good story, and that shines through, right? It's They say that, you know, when you have a personal attachment to what you're writing, you know, everybody can see that in the material you know i wonder um, if he himself followed people around <laughs> well that would be interesting because he has the writer character following people around as he was writing it perhaps he needed some inspiration so i love the scene how he brings uh cobb into his own apartment or oh, what do you reckon of this guy no he works at a bank yeah. no he's not he's unemployed <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean he knows as he says he knows that was his place you know as they go in there sort of thing it's yeah. The um the interesting thing for me was as an audience member you're watching it and it's kind of dumbed down in parts. So there's the bit where he's talking to the blonde woman Cobb and the blonde woman and they're explaining their plan almost, you mm -hmm. know, for the audience and it's there's a little bit of, you know, show don't tell going on yeah. where you you sort of should be shown things rather than told and I don't know. I I like this film, but I do see why it's a cult film and that it's not going to be released to a big audience you know yeah, what I, mean? I, I think uh it's a very important film con just considering on who directed it to see where they where they came from i think it's the most autobiographical film you can get on the subject of christopher nolan i think there's a lot of aspects to that film that is real like maybe he did follow people around to a certain extent and wonder what they were like if you were interested in the psychology of the man then this is the film to look to but just 
the director of um, Interstellar, the director of um, Batman and all the trilogy, to see this film, I think, is important and definitely to check out just to see that evolution and to ho- and it's a big hope to all young filmmakers as well. I can do this. <laughs> it is. It's it's one of those inspiring films that you sort of you watch and you think you know that counts. I could be a filmmaker. Sixty nine minutes is a feature. You know, um, I like that shot where he um, has the mirror. Um, and there's like the shots with the mirror are good with the the blonde woman I enjoyed those but there's this moody music he uses and it's yeah sort of repetitive but you can see what you can see all the the parts you know what I mean mm. they're all there just hasn't quite come together as well here as Memento did mm. by the way Dave he crash edited this onto um, uh, I don't want to say VCRs but you know two uh vtr machines where you know you're playing from a a copy onto a master and then you're pausing <laughs> playing pausing i can't explain it too well but i'm just like really like he had yeah. it all changed over to tape and then he had to pull guy had to crash it <laughs> i mean he's not going to be cutting film but yeah that makes sense yeah but, but you could see the raw cut the raw e- editing in this like um, yeah yeah <laughs> it's interesting my favorite line of uh following is uh, if you take it away, it'll show them what they had. Mm. And that that kind of, like, psychology to it, where he's trying to justify why they do this and, and trying to get inside the mind of the person who robbed him in real life. You're not listening th- to me. When you take it away, <laughs> you realise what they have. Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, and it reminds me of the scene in Fight Club where Tyler Durden yes. takes the, the licence and justifies it afterwards by saying you know tomorrow his cereal will be the best meal he's ever tasted and and he will be on his way to like achieving his dream you know it's he, he a very similar be relationship between the two isn't it like Cobb is like the Tyler De- character who can just who knows more than anyone else and the lead character is just sort of venturing and exploring things this new world for himself yeah, although if um, Cobb had turned out to be a figment of his imagination or something, that would have been a pretty big cop out. <laughs> he needed to be a real person. Yeah, though. absolutely. Yeah, it's just it's, a character in his mind. Whoa, what a head trip. <laughs> I'm not sure why in following, like, it was necessary for um, that guy to kill someone in front of her, you know? Yeah. Sort of thing. And then later on, that kind of justifies how Cobb has to kill her. But I don't know why she needed to be there at all. It sort of seemed like... It seemed like a power play. Like, it was a very strange relationship between the top man and her. Um, yeah. I thought it added to that sense of dimension. But, yeah, it was something beyond my understanding what was happening there. Well, I mean, that sort of, yeah, it almost felt unnecessary to the story. But mm. it's fine, you know. <laughs> it is what it is. It's... <laughs> I... Like I said, this is going to be a cult movie. Not everyone's going to have seen this. Not everyone's going to download this podcast. People are going to see it. They're sitting there and go, never heard of that, <laughs> you know, regardless of what I write with it. I really like and it. I'm glad we did this. Um, I'm really, I'm really happy to have watched it. And I'm going to appreciate Christopher Nolan even more now. Definitely. And look, I, I'm glad you got the Criterion and, and had all the extra features experience. Yeah. I wanted to ask you. Yep. Oh, sorry, go on. No, uh, well, there's not much I can share other than it's like a tutorial on what he did and how he made it. 
Um, he doesn't go too much about the equipment he used, but he's so honest. He isn't one of those guys that talks it up or, you know, I did this, I did this. He's just so practical. He goes, oh, yeah, like, um, uh, I always shoot, um, you know, on rooftops because it's a cheap way to, like, you know what I mean? Those examples. It's just such a goldmine to hear the top guy in the world, uh, in, in movie, in the movie industry at the moment, talk so honestly about the first film he did. I, th- I think it's a fantastic, um, uh, array of special features. He's shooting on rooftops. <laughs> For those who don't get that, Batman begins. He's oh, okay. flying on rooftops. <laughs> when they're, yeah, the cops are talking about it. Anyway, look, we're big fans of Christopher Nolan. We're big fans of Robert Rodriguez, Steven Soderbergh, who we mentioned on the podcast, David Fincher. These are all people who obviously have had some... Uh, effect and influence on oh, us and by the way guys um he emphasizes the microphone that he used for this movie and he goes i think all movies should use this microphone it's a sennheiser 416 and he said it's brilliant for dialogue so if you're a buddying movie maker buy yourself the sennheiser 416 it'll cost you about a grand but if christopher nolan uses it it's got to be good <laughs> well he used it past tense Oh, well, yeah, he used it. I don't think they used that for pro, but he says, I, I still think all movies should be made with this microphone. So if, if you're getting a, a nod from Christopher Nolan like that, definitely go get it. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> One to take note of. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, um, you can find more from us, www.podmeifyoucan.com. We have a YouTube channel there. It's full of, uh, well, a link to a YouTube channel really it's uh, youtube.com slash pod me if you can if you want to go straight there we've got um at least 20 films there now that um are all obscure films with somebody famous in them they weren't too famous at the time maybe it was one of their early films maybe it was one of their final films yeah but um yeah we we've in an effort to find some gems there on our youtube page the podcast the audio podcast is all about um focusing on individual releases and and often more recent films but um the youtube page has been dedicated to finding some rare gems you know the the real uh the real interesting ones hey lloyd yeah definitely and some some of them are so difficult to sit through oh my gosh so you're better off watching our review than the actual film (laughs) yes trust me you you, you'll be doing yourself a favor (laughs) but i mean here we've enjoyed something early christopher nolan um john nolan plays the the policeman so i'm assuming that's that's, christopher his, uh, nolan's that's father. his uncle his uncle yeah okay. that's his uncle yeah <laughs> very nice well look this is his beginnings interstellar is what he's got coming up next i i feel like at some point we're going to probably tackle inception or you know another nolan film uh, absolutely that we talked about he's still relatively young i just can't wait to see more and more of his movies i think he's a great director and i think i read somewhere his films have grossed more than 3.5 billion dollars or something well good on him so so, this is the world we're living in of sequels reboots and remakes and he comes out with original films arguably batman is a reboot um but they hold their own i think and look at his films like prestige um inception they're, they're you know uh, and memento insomnia insomnia well insomnia is actually a remake <laughs> um 
yeah but they're, they're all fantastic movies you know so um and they're original and they're great uh, I, yeah good on him for making that much money in his films and if we haven't mentioned it enough we're very excited about interstellar so looking <laughs> forward to that <laughs> and i think it's made oh it's it's one of those things where my matthew mcconaughey has mm-hmm. become more credible and so he's the the lead in interstellar and that's going to be one of those things and where you can thank magic mike for that for bringing him back <laughs> do you think i, th- I, mean, I think so i think so he's um in dallas buyers club which is you know where he he gets aids and he's lost a lot of weight to play the part in jared leto's in that as well but was that, that after um magic mike after magic mike as well but yeah. then there was also mud and oh, uh yeah. What was the other one he did with um, Zac Efron, the Paperboy? Obviously, that, that as yeah. well. He's been choosing very specifically these roles that are stretching him as an actor, and like, it's not Sahara or How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days anymore. Yeah, you know? it's not these. That's a really good point. Yeah, it's not these like he's going to take off his shirt roles. He's evolved into something different, mm. you know, and it's it's very interesting. Yeah, to see where he's going. Lloyd, uh, I was going to ask you what your favourite Criterion has been. I mean, I know you've got a few. You collect them a little bit. Yeah, I've, I've done unboxings as well on our website. Oh, that's a really good question, Dave. Um, oh, you really put me on the spot here. <laughs> that's uh, funny you mentioned you mentioned the uh, unboxings. Now we've we've uh, plugged the website, the YouTube page, <laughs> our own YouTube channels the uh, facebook page and your unboxings as well as yeah <laughs> we may as well plug our twitters next <laughs> that, that's a really good question I, I'm, I'm not too sure i'll probably say um uh oh geez it's an ingmar bergman film fanny and alexander uh that film just blew me away i haven't even gone through the special features yet but it's just such a brilliant um, thing to release. Like, it's Ing- Ingmar Bergman's probably his magnus opus, one of the greatest films I think ever made. It goes on for, like, three, four hours. <laughs> I think close to four hours, rather. Um, and it, just to see that on the highest quality transfer and the box set, the, how, how, that's, um, how that's designed, it's one of the greatest ever, I think, you can ever b- purchase um, at this current moment. Because for a longest time, it only existed like it came, comes out of movies, and yeah, that's it, you know. Um, if you didn't catch up the movies, you know, that that's that's it. And now, that's of course, the end with, of its yeah, life, that's yeah. the end of its um, cycle. But now you can watch it on Blu-ray, and it's not like a cut-to-piece thing on VHS or a bootleg copy. It's the full um uh, original um envision of ingmar bergman so i'll definitely say that one anyway guys this is episode 80 of uh, pod me if you can so if you have suggestions for episode 100 hit us up on our facebook page we're currently in discussions about what episode 100 will be yeah guys please let us know we listen to all um suggestions definitely and uh until next time lloyd obviously i've enjoyed talking following with you yeah this has been awesome dave thanks east man all the best guys 